This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research PodHub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Lorena Pretorius, EMEA Head of Research Product Management, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a high-level look at new analytic approaches and how it's used at UBS Research. I'm joined by Amar Hamoudi, our Global Head of New Analytic Approaches. Amar, hi, welcome. Hi, Lorena. Great to talk. Let's start with a high-level overview. When we say new analytic approaches, what do we mean? What is it? Yeah, so look, what we're trying to do is bring the scientific method to our equities research. Uh, And so what that really means is, you know, we call it new analytic approaches. We're a team of uh, a globally distributed small team of social scientists. Uh, We have uh, behavioral economics expertise. We have uh, uh, applied psychology expertise. We have uh, I'm an applied empirical microeconomist. We have uh, public finance and financial economics sociology, social sciences like that. Uh, And so, you know, we call it new analytic approaches, but the approaches themselves aren't really that new in the sense that, for example, applied empirical microeconomics, as we've been using it, has probably been around for, I don't know, a few generations now. But what's new about it is bringing it uh, to to, to finding investable insights about individual companies in sell-side research. That's the part that's really um, quite quite new about it. Um, and so that's really our, our objective, is to bring some of those, those uh, scientific uh, perspectives uh, into, into, our, into our equities research offering. That sounds great, and arguably a somewhat different approach to our peers. Why and how did this strategy and team come to be? What is the background? Yeah, so what we're trying really to do is, you know, a, a major part of the vision uh, for, you know, how UBS uh, aims to differentiate itself is through a sort of is, is by establishing a systematic informational advantage, and what that really means is to find uh, a, a information, uh, oftentimes information in data that uh, that others don't have. And so, when you want to f- establish a systematic informational advantage, you basically you really need two things, uh, and and neither one really operates that effectively without the other. One is that you need to have data that uh, that others don't have. Uh, that 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 is an important uh, uh, source of advantage. And the other is that you need to extract information from the data that others are not extracting. Those are really sort of crucial complementary objectives. Um, and we're really focused on that second one, on extracting information from data uh, that others are not extracting. Um, and so, so how do we do that? Well, you know, the basic idea, our, our, our basic perspective, especially as, as it sort of relates to equities research, is to, is to take a hypothesis-driven approach, right, where there aren't, in the cases where there aren't enough data to do these sorts of very sort of data-driven, deep learning, neural net, you know, sort of artificial intelligence types of approaches that are very fashionable uh, at the moment and also very, very powerful uh, uh, when there is sufficient data. We have many other contexts in which there isn't really sufficient data for, for that sort of highly data-driven 
uh, uh, approach. And so the idea is to use a, a hypothesis-driven approach in which you use you know, your understanding of the fact that underneath everything, in the end, the data aren't just numbers. The, the, the data generating process is people behaving. It's consumers deciding what to purchase. It's families and households deciding how to allocate their budgets. It's companies deciding on a strategy. In the end, these things, these data generating processes are people making decisions. Um, and so using our understanding of how people make decisions from a social science perspective, in order to have a narrative that we can then use to guide how we approach the data, allows us to extract information from the data in ways uh, that that uh, others in 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 our in certainly in our equity coverage uh, are not in, in in a way that's new, and that's that's really what we're what we're trying to do. So, can you perhaps describe or categorize the main types of tools or approaches you spoke about approaches here um, at your and the analyst team's disposal? Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, look, there's there's sort of three pillars that everything uh, uh, kind of rests on. If if we think about sort of bringing these these uh, 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 social science techniques into um, into uh, uh, our equity coverage. So, one of them are are these uh, social science uh, approaches, social science conceptual frameworks. You know, basic principles of microeconomics, of behavioral economics, of psychology. Uh, of, of you know financial economics and and, and those sorts of uh, uh, frameworks for understanding you know others have thought about these sort of aspects of human behavior that in the end are our data generating processes so understanding those kinds of social science techniques and bringing them this the sorts of perspectives and frameworks and bringing them directly to bear uh, in in our coverage um, is is one of these pillars Okay. A second pillar is around the statistical techniques that then we use when, once you have a narrative and you want to take the narrative to the data. Um, you know, there are statistical techniques in some cases that are relatively new, in some cases that are, you know, uh, a, a couple of hundred years old. Uh, uh, you know, everything from uh, multivariate regression to random forests to, you know, gradient boosting machines. You know, these are all sorts of different kinds of techniques that in the end are meant to map a narrative onto, a onto the data, right? And so those sorts of uh, uh, statistical techniques are sort of a key second pillar. And then finally, you know, something that we're really trying to help to kind of make available to the to the, the department, both by building capacity within the research franchises and also by sort of providing that capacity as, as ourselves, as our team, is our, our around compute, uh, you know, uh, computing techniques. Because in the end, you know, we're, we're even even data sets that are not sort of large in a sort of big data sense, they're still, you know, in many cases more cumbersome to manage in sort of some of the traditional sorts of approaches that have been used in the past, you know, spreadsheets and so on, than they, than they are in, you know, by using code. Uh, you know, co code is generally more uh, effective uh, for applying some of these sorts of statistical techniques. And so, you know, that sort of, you know, computing technique um, is an important third pillar. And so we're we're really trying to bring all three of those skill sets into uh, into the department, both by providing those services in collaboration with teams, but also by kind of building those capacities within the franchises uh, around sort of social science frameworks, the conceptual frameworks, the statistical techniques that they can use to then apply those frameworks to actual data. And then when you're applying those, those frameworks to actual data, how do you do that? Ideally, you do that through code. Um, and so learning to, you know, the, the, the basics of coding 
um, uh, are, uh, is another um, is, is that third pillar, that, that important third pillar. Thanks, Amar. That's really helpful background. How about we, we change gears a bit and we delve into some specific examples of projects that you think showcase the work well. So, for example, a recent one that springs to mind for me is a study that you and your team did with David Len and the Autos team on global tire makers. Um, from memory, I think they wanted to understand the risk to tire makers' earnings and valuations posed by fluctuations in raw material input costs, inflation obviously being super topical at present. Um, how did you help David tackle this question? Yeah, you know, Lorena, in the end, you, you know, in, in the language of applied empirical microeconomics, this was a question of economic incidence, right? I mean, so, you know, economists, um, you know, anyone who maybe took a course in, you know, high school or, or college in, in intermediate microeconomics probably remembers the example of a situation, for example, where some you know, uh, 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 some some legal entity says from now on the landlord must pay the water bill on behalf of the uh, tenant. The tenant can't be charged for you know the water bill. This is this you know happens in jurisdictions from time to time. Something like that. And in the end, that's fine. That's the legal incidence of 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 that uh, of that cost. Then is on you know whoever the the you know, wherever the law says that the, that, that the cost should go. But in the end, does that mean that that person bears the cost in an economic sense? Not necessarily, because of course the rent on the apartment can adjust, right? And so you end up, you know, sort of having that burden get passed along if the, if the, in that, in this example, the landlord has enough of a, of a, of, of bargaining power to pass that cost along. This is the same problem. This is, you know, this is the advantage of bringing a sort of social science conceptual framework to a problem like this. In the end, rubber prices were going up. And the concern was, what is this going to mean for tire manufacturers? So, so the question is, where is the economic incidence of this rising uh, commodity price going to be? Is it going to fall? Is the burden going to fall on the tire manufacturers? Is it going to fall on the purchases of the tires? Is it going to fall on the, the, you know, the wholesalers, the retailers? Where is it going to, where, you know, how is it going to get spread? And in the end, that is not a decision that is a strategic decision for any individual in the marketplace to decide. That is an equilibrium outcome that is going to emerge. And so we have to understand who has what kind of bargaining power, what are the you know, relative uh, uh, options that are available, what, are the relative, what is the willingness to pay on the various consumer sides, right? And what, is the sort of, you know, what, what are the impacts on, on, on costs of production? And so that really just matters, you know, in the end, that's just a question of taking basic uh, uh, microeconomic principles to data. What is the slope of the demand curve? What is the slope of the supply curve? Those kinds of questions. Um, and so that's what we did, uh, uh, Lorena, and we really, um, you know, we're able to sort of provide an answer that, uh, that, that you know, uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, David found very compelling, was able to sort of take uh, uh, to his clients, um, and in the end, really only used uh, uh, you know, like I say, you know, the, the approaches themselves were as old as microeconomics and multivariate regression in the end. <laughs> but the uh, but what was new about them was applying them specifically to this particular investment question. So so that's an example of that kind of you know bringing a social science approach um, and bringing these kinds of statistical techniques to uh, uh, questions of of uh, investment uh, relevance.
That's great, Amar. And whilst you whilst you say the the approach was not necessarily particularly profound, I think from memory the work um, you all did leveraged some of the UBS Evidence Lab data in in that analysis. And so, from as a, as a consumer of that product, what I really liked was that it used both prongs of the systematic informational advantage that you spoke about earlier. So it brought new data um, from UBS Evidence Lab and then the new approaches um, that you and your team applied. And combined, I thought that that two-prong approach was, was super powerful. Yeah, um, Lorena, that's really true. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's in the end, you, it's very difficult to extract uh, uh, information uh, if we don't have the data. And crucial here were data around how would you estimate the slope of a demand curve? You need different prices and you need different quantities that, are, that got purchased in order to estimate that slope. And Evidence Lab was able to collect those data. That was absolutely crucial um, to that effort. So it's just like you say, data that others didn't have and we, and we were able to extract information from those data that others had not extracted. So that, that's, that, it's, they're, they're complementary, highly complementary. Fabulous. How about another example? I picked one. Which one do you want to highlight? Yeah, you know, I, I you know, to be honest, I actually think of one where we actually did we we didn't even use uh, 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 data that others you know that, that was especially proprietary to uh, to to UBS. We we actually used a publicly available uh, 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 data source. Um, uh, we looked at the United States Consumer Expenditure Survey, uh, which is a government survey that's publicly available. And what we did there was, you know, we had an airlines uh, uh, analyst who was really curious as to what is likely to be the impact of, uh, of, of uh, uh, businesses reducing their in investment in or their uh, expenditures on, on business travel, right, for their employees. Uh, you know, as we kind of move into the sort of post-pandemic world, maybe we've learned that, that you don't always have to make a trip for, you know, when, when a video conference or a, or a um, you know, a, a technological solution would do. Uh, and so maybe we might be heading into a period where businesses are investing a little bit less and spending a little bit less on sending their employees on these kinds of trips. And so what does that mean for people's personal travel? Like that was the question. And so in the end, this is a question of how families allocate their resources. What are the sort of spillover effects of businesses making these decisions? And so we just went, we collected data on, uh, you know, from this publicly available survey on something like 150,000 households, and we applied very basic microeconomic techniques in order to, again, sort of, you know, we have a framework that we can use where, where we can actually analyze the, the economic behavior of families and households using these, uh, you know, using the, these social science frameworks that are, uh, that, that are well established, you know, in, in, in lots of other applications and use them to actually try to extract this uh, uh, investable insight around, um, uh, around, around the, the impacts on uh, airlines of, uh, you, know, ha you know, whatever spillover effects there might be from businesses making these kinds of decisions. Um, and, and again, I mean, you know, that was another situation in which uh, uh, we, we extracted information that others had not extracted, in this case from data that others could have had access to, um, and yet, it's the the technique that really sort of um, uh, provided the uh, provided the differentiation, provided the advantage, um, and it was extremely well received. Uh, I'm told by the by the analyst, it was extremely well received by clients. So, so another example, I think, of um, you know how how having a framework, uh, you know, a, a hypothesis driven approach, really helped us to 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 extract uh, uh, some useful information from the data. I think that's a really powerful message in terms of. Um, you, not, you might not necessarily need to look for the profound, but it's your approach can make a huge difference to the outcome from the, from the conclusion. Thank you, Omar. That's been really informative. Um, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it.
Thank you, Lorena. It was terrific to talk. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. This was an introduction and overview of new analytic approaches with me, Lorena Pretorius, EMEA Head of Research Product Management, and Hamar Hamoudi, Global Head of New Analytic Approaches. Thank you for listening. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS, all rights reserved.